Welcome, brand new episode of Squeaky Bum Time, and uh, I'm, I'm pleased to say Keisha is back in the studio alongside <laughs> me, Matthew Upson, and someone who would know all about the term Squeaky Bum Time, the one and only Sharp. Gentlemen, welcome. It's just a conversation about your career and your thoughts on, on issues, whatever it might be. So because Keisha was a bit lazy, missed the last episode, I'm going to let you take over here. <laughs> yeah, the last episode, I think there were three guests all together with yes, you, right, Adam? Yeah. Um, I'm genuinely excited about today's one because obviously this weekend we've had two big derbies. Well, one has already been played, the other one is being played later tonight. And that was you're talking about the East Midlands derby, yes, right? Yes, that's the one. Yes, that's the one I was talking about. Okay, not not the North London one. Yeah, <laughs> East Midlands. Um, but at the same time, I think derbies are a bit of a hot topic because last night something happened in a derby game in Indonesia as well, hmm. um, where I think over 120 fans died in in uh, post-game uh, stampedes yeah. and there was no. a brawl yeah. and uh, yeah so it, the whole week has just been a lot ab about derbies and, and, and the rivalry and the intensity of it and obviously different parts of the world you've got different sort of intensity so I think today's conversation I, I really like to dive deep with you guys uh, together with Adam in terms of trying to understand what is it like to be a part of those derbies as a player because um, when we watch it on our television screen, we can feel the intensity, but I'm pretty sure playing in it, you know, it's a whole different thing altogether. Um, I'll, I'll back it up with a set. Yeah. Spurs, <laughs> the, the ground where they've had the most red cards, apart from their own home stadium or anything, is the Emirates. Mm. Mm. The Emirates Stadium. And I'm just thinking, in the Premier League era, I'm just thinking that has to be a correlation being a derby. It yeah. has to be. Can you do that across other derbies? I bet if you were to probably look at other oh, absolutely. Yeah, teams, I, it would be in the top. Yeah. Three, let's say, what, or maybe what, the top. What is it about derbies that makes it so special, particularly in the game now where you have so many players who aren't from the country, not from that area mm. even, and might not fully grasp the importance of what a derby is until they play in it? Mm. I mean, North London for you or Birmingham? The, the, the or... Birmingham one was probably one of mm. the, the biggest game that I played in because in terms of North London, I, I, was, on, I was on the bench a lot. I didn't really feature much in, in that fixture at all. I experienced sampled the atmosphere in the build-up and the dressing room, but in terms of playing, not a lot. So the, the the Birmingham Villa was really interesting because Birmingham had just got promoted into the Premier League. So it was the first time we'd played Aston Villa, I don't know in how many years, over 20-something years. So the city was buzzing with it. It was a big talk, big build-up. Um, and the matches were... It, well, it, to be honest, it wasn't a football match, if I'm honest. It, it was more just combat. In combat. Term, well, in terms of clear the ball, head the ball, tackle. It, the football was, was horrible in terms of the quality. It just didn't exist. It was just who was going to scrap and get the result in those first two games. The one at, at Birmingham, and then I played in the one. I'd signed in the January, and we played Villa at Villa Park. I can't remember if it was in March or, or April. Um, and that was just a crazy game. It was. Mm. I just remember it really well. It was just a, a scrap, um, and football went out the window. Really, it's because you two are opposite ends of the pitch. I'm just thinking about what it's like mentally. Because for you, you're probably mm. thinking, "Do not make a mistake because mm. it could lead to a goal." Whereas for Lee, if you lose possession of the ball, you have got someone like Dennis Irwin behind you. You know, he, he'll he'll hopefully mop up for you. You're probably thinking more about you have to make a positive impact on this game in an attacking sense. You try, you're trying to get an inch of space, to be fair, because you, you don't get given a minute to think. Mm. You, the, the game's such a, it's so intense and so fast, you don't get a second to think. So you're just trying to find that little bit of space. You're trying to find. Um, Do you find that affects the quality of the game? Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, because because I think everyone's so, so like. You're trying to get your aggression levels up on you. A lot yeah. of people are like, right, we're going to war. You know, you're in the dressing room <laughs> and they're like, we're going to war. We've got to, it's kill or be killed. And I'm thinking, no, I can't play the game like that. I need, to, <laughs> I need to chill out and relax and be able to see everything. So everything comes at me a little bit slower than, than usual in, in a game that's twice as fast as usual. So I think one thing you're trying to do is, is not get clattered because mm. someone's mm. trying to break your legs every time you yeah. get the ball. Uh, and, and then, yeah, you, you're trying to make some sort of positive impact and... Um, I think, like Matt, the, the games generally are not great viewing because mm. it's so intense and so um, so high pressure, high intensity, uh, so physical, so aggressive. 
Um, it, it gets a little bit scrappy and a little bit messy. Um, so yeah, the games are not generally great to play in. But and, and I think I think derbies are really more about the fans. I think because the fans have supported their club through generations of families. Mm. I think they feel the intensity mm -hmm. as as a player, or at least from my perspective. I'm trying to calm things down and say it's just a game of football, it's mm. just three points, play the normal way you play. Yeah, the game's quicker and it's a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more hostile from the fans' point of view, but you're trying to calm things down, whereas the fans like the build-up during the week, you, you're walking around the streets, it's like, come on, we've got to beat these, we've got to beat these, and you're getting stick from the away fans, oh, you're going to get battered, you're gonna, we're going to get kick you all over. And so, this, so it's like a cup final in the fact that there's a week's build-up to it, and then you know you're going to have a week's fall out the week after. If you get beat, it's going to be horrible mm. walking around the streets of Manchester. It's going to be, you're going to get stick off your fans, you're going to get stick off the away fans. So, so it's the whole surround. It's not just the 90 minutes. It's a whole package of the derby. Well, OK, let me expand it further. What if there's something even more on the line besides pride? Because with all due respect to City, when you played against them, mm. they weren't the powerhouse they are now. But Liverpool, and I know it's not a derby, but they are the biggest rivals or even Leeds where you would play as well. It's, there's competition there in terms of the league position and trying to fight for a title. Is that an added edge for you? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, it, it adds to the pressure. It adds to the the nervousness of the game, knowing that not only have you got to contend with this intensity and and it being a derby, you've also got to try and dig out three points and get a win to keep yourself mm -hmm. in a title race or and take three points away from your title rivals potentially. Absolutely. Yes. What's so, the bigger rivalry for United? <laughs> Liverpool. It is Liverpool. Mm, yeah. it's, it's not City, is it? I would say that the game against Liverpool has more edge to it than, than the City game. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. I think because of Liverpool's success sort of in the 70s, 80s, and then ours in the 90s, I think it's, it's always been Liverpool. City's a huge game. Leeds is, is massive as well because of the, the hatred and the rivalry there. But it's always been, I don't know, some say the biggest game in the world because you've got so many worldwide followers that Man United-Liverpool is the biggest game you'll ever yeah. play in. I think it was quite telling that the United fans preferred City to win yeah. the title over yeah, Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those two sides were neck and neck yeah, that, that the last couple of seasons. Yeah, yeah. 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 absolutely. I, I think yeah. one of the things as fans that we're genuinely curious about heading into derbies is trying to gauge how do coaches or managers approach it in the dressing room? Because obviously there's two schools of thoughts. One is you could argue that a manager could use the weight of the occasion to motivate the players but on the other hand you don't want your players to be too emotional on the pitch mm. you want to calm them down like like lee you mentioned earlier um what was Sir alex like heading into the, into a derby did, did he make use of the weight of the occasion or is he a lot more composed and calm heading into these big games i think he was we, we had a we had a pretty experienced dressing room um and you could always tell when there's a big game because no disrespect to the smaller teams or less lesser teams. The, the dressing room would be a little bit more jovial. It would be a little bit more relaxed. Uh, the lads would be messing around and joking around, and balls would be flying around the dressing room. And um, and then it comes to a big game like a derby, and the dressing room just goes deathly silent. There's there's an air of nervousness, of excitement, uh, and the manager would just walk around saying a couple of words to one or two players individually. But he would walk out going, I know, I know you're ready. I know you, I know your mind's on the game, and you could see a whole different mindset in the dressing room from from a derby or or a big game as such to to something that wasn't quite as big. And it was, it was eerie. It was it was really eerie, and and it made me far more nervous. <laughs> so I'd go up into the shower cubicle with a ball and just knock a ball against the wall and try and like leave everyone to it. But Liverpool was always special for Sadix, wasn't it? it, it knock him off their fucking perch. Yeah, and I, and I think because there was a few Scottish players that he sort of had fallouts with when he was Scotland manager, and mm. Ken Dalglish, Alan Hansen, who I'm not sure he quite got on so well with. So there was there was a bit of a, a national rivalry as well as as well as the club rivalry. But yeah, he was Liverpool was always his, his massive game, and um, a few times we went to Anfield and he's changed formation. We've we've tried to play five at the back like like they did and match him up on the pitch and and being all over the place. Never really worked on it in training and just went Thursday or Friday went right. We're going to play this formation. We're all sat there going, what, what is he doing? He's worrying about them rather than us making them worrying about us. And so uh, Anfield was, was not a great place for us for, for many many games while, while I was there. McManaman was the one who was... Well, there's a few. I mean, Nigel, Nigel Clough scored a few, a couple against us. Um, yeah, it was, it, was just, it was just a really tough place for us to go. And 
in a scenario like this for you, Matt, I mean, are you looking at your big players to really step it up in, in, in such a high-octane match? Yeah, th- I think you are. Um, I think you look to those in, in nearly every game. Um, I think a lot of it is about the players, and again, it's, it's no disrespect to any position, but it's, it's almost like sometimes that the players that you know are going to be a bit more workmanlike are going to have to be really solid. Mm. And they're the players I think you look to in those occasions to be a, a 9 out of 10. And, if, and if, if they are, I think you've got a massive chance because, like I said, the, the game's more about mentality than quality sometimes. I think you'll see that a lot. I mean, this fixture we were saying on the way here, weren't we, that it can be a bit of a disappointment sometimes. I mean, the, the game yesterday in the North London derby I thought was quite a good footballing game. But that's because, it didn't, for me, it didn't quite have the same intensity of what a North London derby maybe has in the past in terms of pressure, Spurs really getting out, getting after Arsenal, the amount of tackles. And we saw a bad tackle from Emerson, but that was just one out of frustration. It wasn't like, for me, like a really committed, hard challenge. Mm. Um, so it, it was allowed to be more of a football game. Um, whereas if I reflect back to the Birmingham ones, it was just the, the type of players, centre-backs, your full-backs, your goalkeeper, you're solid. And then you might have, we had a, like a Christoph Duggery that was <laughs> magical at times and, and won a game. And, and they pop up and steal the show, you know? And myself, Robbie Savage running around in midfield, tackling people, tackling the corner flag, you know? Like, he, he would be everywhere. And it suited us to a degree with how we played. And we had, we had a lot of success in that period against Villa. In fact, for a couple of seasons, they, I don't think they could beat us. Mm. And, and the Birmingham fans kind of had the bragging rights of, of that in the city, which was big. Because it had been years of being suppressed and Villa being the team that was, you know, have a huge following across the world, yeah. across Europe especially. Robbie Savage, were you taking it to any battle based on what you just said? <laughs> like, is, is he... I say that those games he performed well in. Really well. I can't, I can't knock him. You know, he, he was he would upset people. Got Dion Dublin sent off in one just through annoying him and mm. being all over <laughs> him. And Dion lost his call and he headbutted him. And uh, you know, that's mayhem. It was just absolute mayhem. And it felt like it on the pitch. There was not a moment you you never had a chance to really put your foot on the ball, have a touch, get your head up, and think, well, I'll pick a pass. It just didn't happen. It came to you, and you just got rid of it. Did Either you found a pass, one touch, or just cleared it. Did you trash talk uh, on the pitch? Occasionally. <laughs> Give me an example of what you would say. Well, <laughs> I would trash talk or, or be more in response. So somebody might be giving, you know, whatever it might be, and it would just be, yeah, OK, I'm gonna, I can sit you down in a minute, or we'll wait and see. Hmm. Let's wait and see what happens. Because you're a big boy. Or, well, not so much. <laughs> I, I just used to like the physical challenge in terms of running, yeah. anything down the side or into space. I almost used to like... I, w- I w- want them to put the ball in there, just so I could, you know, run and tackle and smash, smash one out into the stand and smash <laughs> yeah. them. Yeah, to Rose as a defender, that's not yeah, yeah. like scoring a goal. Yeah, yeah. you know, that's the same it feeling. Gets, as... It gets a bigger cheer, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> you know, if you, if it you does. clean someone in a derby and put yeah. the ball Ooh. into touch as a defender, if, if, the, the, the whole crowd goes up. Yeah. It's, mm. as, it's as good as if you're on the touchline and that gets spun in the channel and you know you've got the pace to get there and the centre forward's going as well and you can go and ball and everything into touch. That's your dream. That's, that's Lee putting it in the top corner. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Lee, who stands out in your mind in terms of, of being a trash talker against you on the pitch? Against us? Yeah, but someone who was up against you, a, a right back or...? Oh, I've, I've very rarely had it, to be fair. Um, the, only, the only bloke I had really do it was a guy called... Uh, oh, God, what was his name now? Um, played for Sunderland. We played at Old Trafford. His name will come to me in a minute. Um, and they, uh, I was only 19, but they'd, they'd given a 19-year-old kid a, his debut at Old Trafford. And for the first 45 minutes, I probably had the best 45 minutes of my life. I absolutely trounced this guy. So obviously, at half-time, the manager's saying, right, Sharp is having a lot of joy down the left. Get yourself, get, get him the ball and just get yourself in the box. And, and at half-time, they're taking this young lad off and they're putting him midfielder. What's his name? He was a... He was a uh, all right, will come to me. Um, but it was a real aggressive... And obviously the ball's come to me first couple of minutes and, and I think it's from Dennis and I've sort of flicked it around the corner to, to Mark Hughes to go for a one-two. And as I've gone to run for the one-two, he sort of pinched my bicep and said, listen, you run past me once this half and I'm going to break both your legs. 
Oh. And I just sort of run mm. off and went, well, you've got to catch me first. Yeah. <laughs> and I ran off. And then he said something else to me. I went, listen, I said, you've got Brian Robson to deal with. I said, I'm not going to say a word. <laughs> yeah. And I told Robbo and Robbo smashed him about yeah. six times. And <laughs> As he did. I, said, yeah. I, I just left. I just started laughing at him. So I was... Because you, I can imagine you being a bit of a target at times because you've got the skill, the flair at the side. And you were, you were a poster boy as well. Like girls had your picture up on the wall, didn't well, they? Yeah, I mean, we, we had... The, the thing was that myself, Giggsy and Kinchelskis could all take a kick in, but we couldn't really kick back to, to hurt anybody. But we knew we had a team that could. So we had like Bruce and Pallister at the back. We had Robson, Keenins in midfield. We had Cantona and Hughes up front. So if generally what would happen is we'd take a couple of kick-ins first half. And then if we came off at half time and no one had, had given this guy a bit of a reducer, as they call it, mm. uh, the manager would, would go off and he's fucking looking after him. He's getting battered all over the place and no one's laid a finger on the fullback. And you'd have about four hands go, I'll sort it, I'll sort it, I'll sort it. <laughs> straight away. And then straight away, next half, they're just getting pounded by three or four different players coming in, smashing them all over the place. It, it, it seems like in most instances, um, you're kind of keeping your cool when you're up against all these sort of uh, challenges and trash talkers because you know subconsciously you've got individuals at the back who's going to back you up. But were there any instances where you actually completely lost it as well on the pitch? As, as calm as you tried to stay, but someone just got under your skin and just you completely lost it. No, not, not for me. I'm, I'm not really that way inclined. I'm not that aggressive to sort of lose it. And, and when you know players are on the pitch that, that can sort things out, generally me, Giggsy, used to just laugh at people that kicked us. <laughs> yeah. like, we know what's coming to and, you. And, and to be fair, that might just get under their skin even more, uh, it right? Does. Like, it does. That, that's exactly just... what I mean, even... You know, we'd go to Ellen Road and, and the ball would go out near the corner flag and you're right in front of their cop and people are abusing you and throwing things at you. And I'd just stand up and just smile at the fans and it would wind them up, it would wind the players up and all of a sudden they're losing mm. their concentration a little bit because they're then trying to kick you rather than get the ball. And that's when but you can... Didn't you find, though, the worst players in terms of leaving a bit on you, the ones that never said anything? Yeah, always. Yeah. The, the players that talk about it don't generally do it that well and that it's, 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 it's the quiet ones yeah. that say nothing that yeah because you don't know it's coming you don't know it's coming and, yeah. and you don't know it's building and yeah. it just comes from nowhere the, the, the ones that are getting mad and, and saying things yeah. to you you're virtually waiting for it and looking exactly. for it and you know it's going to come and when it's going to come the ones that don't say a word that you're that you, yeah. annoying yeah. will just come on the blind side and absolutely clean you yeah. and that's, that's that's the danger it's a true saying that's the quiet ones isn't it yeah, yeah. to look it out is. for But um, what about in training? What about in training? Did you ever get taken out by any of your teammates? Yeah, well, well, tra training was like a, a match day. We, we played, you know, people like Brian Robson and Roy Keane would not train any other way. Robson would pull people to one side if they were given the ball. He would, he would have bets. with When Paul Linton and Roy Keane first came to the club, he would have a £10, £20 bet with both of them who gave the ball away the most. So they were concentrating every day in training not to give the ball away. Um, and, and we played full intensive. If, the, if training wasn't like a match day training, the manager would stop it, run us around the pitch and say, listen, you, you can't get away with things like that on a Saturday. We play like we do on a Saturday on here. So people were kicking lumps out of each other. Uh, the game was in, the training was intense. It was always high tempo. Um, so you've so, got no protection there, though? No, no, you, you, had, you had to look after yourself in training. In training, but on yeah. a match day, it's a different story. You've got your teammates. Match but... day, they look after you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, that was good to know. <laughs> Matt. What was the or what is the craziest atmosphere that you've ever played in? I think I probably have to go to uh, Greece, Oof. Greece or Turkey. I found those atmospheres just we were Turkey amazing. Oh, yours is a famous amazing, one. Yeah. and I remember going to PAOK Salonika mm. with Arsenal in Europe very early on. Um, in the Champions League, I think it was, and I was probably it was probably my second season at the club, or for, I was I was 19, 18, and I was warming up. And now, first of all, we went out, we got there an hour and a half before kickoff. It's like deathly silent, and I remember Ian Wright going down the steps, walking out onto the pitch, and all of a sudden, this noise just came out nowhere, and 
their end was nearly full. And flares were going off, they were jumping up and down on each other's shoulders. It was like, it was like we just come out, you know, you go out to look at the pitch and there's yeah. no one yeah. there. Yeah. It's an hour and 15 before kickoff, full. And I thought, oh, this could get a bit tasty. Like this, this, is, this looks a bit lively. So we went back in, came back out for the warm up, and it was, you know, a big tunnel came down along the, the, the walkway from the steps that go down and then came up. And I thought, why, why is that there? Well, you knew why the, there was a metal tunnel there. All you could hear was ting, 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 ting. The whole, the whole time there was objects Being just pelting oh. off, the, off the top of this uh, oh tunnel. Jeez, like it. And it didn't sound like small things either. Some of them. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I was warming up along the side and I was down by the, stupidly, I got too close to the stand, inexperienced. And I was stretching by the corner flag and I felt something brush the side of my head. And looked down the floor and it was like a big battery. Jeez. And it, it just glanced. I felt the air off it Jeez. go flying past me. And I remember looking down thinking, oh, if, if that hit me, I think I'd, I'd have been <laughs> in, in trouble. <laughs> and uh, you kind of wander back into the middle of the pitch and think, well, I need to just keep warm up in the scent here. That, that was what it was like. And that atmosphere was unbelievable. You've, you've really felt like this is more than a football match here. Um, and I can't remember, I don't know, I think we might have got beat. I was about to ask, what was the result? <laughs> I think we got beaten. Mm. It's either 1-1 one, one, or we got beat 1-0. Either way, in terms of quality, we were, you know, we were miles ahead. Um, we were without Dennis Burkamp because I think we were too far in terms of for him to travel because um, we flew out there. Um, but I think we, we might have just come and scraped away with a point and just literally got out. Um, but it, it was a really hostile atmosphere. That's yeah. probably the most intimidating environment I've ever been to play a football match. Because I, I know the ever famous one, I mean, you've got the police going up against you. That's questionable. Oh, Galatasaray. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was, you turn up at the air, you get, you get off the plane and come out the airport and there's like 1,500 fans, mm. we welcome to hell, you're all going to die. <laughs> um, the, the, the bus got stoned coming out of the hotel. We stayed on the on the river and there's boats going up and down the river playing music and sounding foghorns all night so you can't sleep. And the bus is getting bricked and shaken when you, when you go into the ground and turn up at the ground. There's armed police with shields and... Truncheons and all that. And they're yeah. sort of giving you a dig, but actually trying to protect you. And, and then we, we similar sort of thing. We walked out two hours before it was. We walked out before the game. And they're there. And at the Galatasaray, I don't know if this still happens, but they don't use... Uh, the main fans don't go beyond the goals. They use the sides of the pitch. And we walked out and both sides were packed and it was quiet when we walked out and then all of a sudden we came out and this roar went off. Yeah. And this, this side of the stadium was silent while this side of the stadium sang at that side. And it was like da 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 And this one went da 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 And it was like da 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 And we're like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> yeah. what is going on here? <laughs> it was unbelievable. And then obviously bricked at the end of the game, coach bricked again at the end of the game. It was, uh, it was so intense, it was incredible. Because even when you were being led back down, the police were supposed to protect you, but they didn't exactly yeah, there was, protect there was a few, you. Yeah, a few of the lads getting, getting sort of a bit of abuse off the police, yeah. Unbelievable, can you imagine yeah. that? Like armed police yeah. with like the helmets on and the visors and the big... Um, shields and big truncheons. shields and truncheons, and they're sort of giving you a dig as you're walking down. And <laughs> was, That's crazy. <laughs> it's fresh in my head, because I was told you I was reading Schmeichel's book and he talks about it, yeah, and Cantona mm. squaring off against... Yeah, Cantor was... Against the police. I mean... But, but those games, you talk about keeping your cool and talking about derbies, mm. they're, they're the games because all of that is literally there to, to level the game mm. because you're turning up. You're a better team. Oh, God, yeah. Than what they were. Arsenal turned up at that. We were a better team than them, but they're trying to level the playing field. And t clubs do it in various different ways, you know, leave the grass long on the pitch, That's the other thing, yeah. turn the heat up in the yeah, dressing yeah. room, well, wh whatever all these mm. things are that you've experienced over the years. Yeah. But that one there in particular, that's just there to designed to get a Cantona, uh, a, a, a player to literally just get sent off Yeah, it is, mm. and try and balance the game out. And that's, that's the role that the crowd know they can play. Well, one of the things that I'm very curious about is how do you guys manage these sorts of atmospheres? Because I think we've, we've spoken to a few uh, ex-pros here before as well, Adam, I remember. And a lot of them say that some in, in most games, yes, the noise levels can be loud, 
but as pros, they tend to block it all out and focus on the game and you don't so much hear what's happening in the background. But were there instances or games in which it became an absolute struggle to just keep yourself focused on the match in itself because of everything else that was happening around you? The hardest thing I found, um, and I remember when I, later on when I went to Besiktas with Stoke in the Europa League, is I couldn't hear anyone. Mm. And as a centre-back, the amount of times you need to hear communication and I'm shouting to midfield player to get out, press the ball, where am I dragging people in? You, you couldn't hear. We'd sit this close and I'd shout at you and you'd struggle to hear it. It was so noisy, the noise. And I think that, that, that's something that definitely affects, affects the communication on the pitch. I also, think, also think that when, when things are that loud, it actually affects some sort of nervous bit of your nervous system and, and because you can't hear and you can't communicate, it's actually unnerving mm. in the fact that if it kicks off here, no one can hear me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're in massive yeah. trouble. But um, I, think, I think as far as the noise, though, I, think, I think it's white noise until the ball goes out of play. Yeah, mm. and then when you're going off to get the ball for a throw-in or a corner, then it comes back. Then in. you can hear yeah. individuals. You can hear a certain or personal, and, yeah, yeah. person. And, and you, that's when you sort of hear in the chants and uh, and what they sort of say. Obviously, not when you're playing in Turkey because you have no idea what they're saying. <laughs> yeah. you, just, you can just feel the yeah. animosity. <laughs> you, you got a rough idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's not very pleasant. Yeah. Was there ever a game where you? couldn't hear Sir Alex for one half because obviously where you were on the pitch would have been a lot closer to manager than where Matt was on a pitch. Uh, I was trying not to hear him I was every game. <laughs> I was going to say, would you rather <laughs> not hear him? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to hear him. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, in, in big loud games you're struggling to hear but then if, you, if you're playing wide and the manager's right there by the door, he'll, he'll always sort of just pull you over and say, just tell him to do this, tell, watch this and do this. And, um, so if you're if you're on the touchline near the manager, there's there's no escape at times. But generally, you don't really listen to the manager during the game. To be fair, yeah, you think you they know, don't? You don't, but you yeah. don't because the manager's shouting on stuff and you're in the thick of it. And if you, I mean Brian Robson or Roy Keane for us was the person that we listened to on the pitch. The manager might at one time try and change a formation, say, "Are oh, you going to play? Are you going to play here?" So you listen to that. But generally, if the manager's mm. going, do this, do this, or come yeah. on, and you're mm. not really. Because you don't know whether he's going to say something good or bad, so yeah. you're generally concentrating on your own game. He, he probably wouldn't game. try and like micromanage your game, though. He'd no. want you to go and make your choices, and yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the whole point of having you on the pitch yeah. and trusting you to yeah. to make the right choice. Did you enjoy that being the captain on the pitch when you're at West Ham? Yeah, and being the one that's shouting instructions. Yeah, yeah. I think it's something you grow in to as as you get more experienced and and older. I, I really enjoyed that, and and I tried to make talking. A, uh, a big part. I used to try and really get out of my comfort zone in terms of how much I spoke to people on the pitch and over. And I don't think you can ever do it enough, even if it's noise. Tony Adams used to shout noise sometimes, and it, it's a uh, what I'm saying might not make sense, but I'm just you can hear me. You know where I am at all times. At all times, even if it's just you know oh, get up, whatever noise it is, you'd rather have that than nothing. Do you I dig think. out players on the pitch, though? Or you wait till you get in the dressing room? Depending on the severity of the situation, of course. Yeah, I think, yeah, either or. Depending on what, like you say, whatever the situation is. I'm sure Lee's been told politely a couple of times by, uh, oh, God, yeah. Yeah, by, you, by you, other, yeah, other players. You have that, to, because yeah. it's, it's in the moment. And if you're not yeah. doing your job in the moment, you're going to give a goal away. So, yeah. you know, whether you, it's tracking runners or whether it's coming side or the ball's on the other side and Robertson will be pulling me in so there's, so there's less of a gap here or... There's an overlapping fullback. I've got to go. The fullback's talking to me about you stay, I'll mm. go, I'll go, you stay. It's all. It's, it's, that, that's one thing, from school football to, to playing football, that's the, or amateur football. That's the biggest difference, I think, is is talking on the pitch. Yeah. Do you I think it... you probably saw that a little bit more with COVID, with no crowds. You heard everyone oh, yeah. talking yeah. all the time because you don't hear it with the crowds. But the communication, the talking on the pitch, is non-stop. I mean, I wasn't a big talker on the pitch majority of my career but we had players in the team that that would do it constantly a bit like Tony Adams they would just talk and talk and talk and talk so you know exactly what's happening when things have got to be done where you've got to go where you've got to be you're constantly being told did you talk back if you felt you were being unfairly spoken to because no. I'm no never no did anybody try to talk back against you when you were captain yeah but it never got okay. to the point like a bow year dire 
fist no, to clearly not. Dish, I was yeah. never involved in that. But yeah. you might then. That's when you might then go back to the dressing room. Yes. That's when after the game, you might go and have a conversation that might be a bit more forceful or, you know, in that environment. And maybe the manager might, uh, you, you know, managers might w would get involved sometimes, and would say, "You need, you need to listen to what he's saying, because what he's saying, you know, if the manager knows that that discussion's going on and it can't get resolved between the players, I think managers then step in and, and they deal with it, mm. um, because ultimately they're, you, as players, you're, they're w each other's peers, aren't we? I know you've got captains and more senior players, whatever, but as a, if a manager comes in and weighs in, then you, you kind of put it to bed. I don't, I don't think I've ever had anybody argue or question back to Brian Robson. Mm. But loads of players have come into the dressing room and the manager said something, they've stood up to the manager and there's nearly been fights so many times. And the manager's come in and said something and the player stood up and not agreed with him and going, well, I'm doing this and you... And, and, and the staff have pulled the manager away and the players have pulled the player away. But very rarely has it ever happened with Brian Robson as the captain. Did you not find that sometimes the manager wanted that reaction? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. and it would be yeah. it, it, it would, that that would be measured. Yeah, yeah. It to, looks to get, emotional. Back it looks emotional, but yeah. that it would be measured. Yeah, yeah. And they'll try the and get a reaction out of you, and it, sometimes it'd be successful because you're emotional at that time. You've come off the pitch. You're being criticised or told something that you don't agree with. Obviously, heat at the moment. You kind of like what Lee's saying, you, f you fight back. Yeah. But I think sometimes managers know that you're going to do that and they want to get you riled up. Yeah. yeah. Now, as a captain, Matt, how do you manage that part of the communication with, say, for example, players that come outside of England from completely different backgrounds and mm. cultures and they might not be necessarily used to the approach that's uh, you know, prevalent in the English dressing rooms and how do you manage that, those kind of situations? Well, that, that, that would be, and I think as the, as the game, that became more apparent in the game in terms of different languages, different mm. cultures, different personalities, probably more varied. Mm. Um, then that, that would be a real skill for the, for the manager because you, you almost need to know every player what reaction you're going to get. I think that's a big part of management, to be honest, knowing that what players you can push was there an expectation from the manager that, besides me, I need my captain to be aware of every player and what works for them yeah, as well? Yeah, possibly, possibly. But, you know, you've you got to bear in mind that you are more... Fo your first port of call is to take care of your, your own business. Yeah. And you can't be in a you know, glass houses, you can't throw stones. So unless you're taking care, you know, I would say 70% of your time is my performance because that's the most important thing mm. I'm doing that for the team I'm doing it for myself um, and then around that would be the communication the having half an eye on other people's stuff um, and yeah you, you would know what players you could say certain things to and I would know that I was a player that sometimes a manager would come into a dressing room you might have seen this where they would know they'd want to have a go but they'd know what players they could do it to and that would happen as well, mm. where they could say something to to me that they might not be able to say to someone else. Yeah, was that, that and that used to frustrate me a little bit, if I'm honest. Mm. Um, and you'd know what play they'd know what players they could push, and what players would react, and what players wouldn't, wouldn't cope. I suppose. It was a famous, I think Rooney was saying, he, he had that. The manager, Sir Alex, will come and direct something to him, but actually he means Nani yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Whoever. It, it's not actually Rooney that's doing that on the pitch. Yeah. It's yeah. another player that yeah. can't be pushed in the same way. Yeah. I just want to know, like, how, how would a manager motivate you? What yeah. worked best for both of you? I, I, like I, I just Matt? loved honesty. Mm. I, don't know, I, I liked honesty and, and one thing it used to annoy me when a manager would come in and make general sweeping statements you know we, have, we haven't uh, been competitive enough today and I'd think well, well I have or I think I have and unless you're going to show me instances where I haven't then and that would be a general statement because maybe as a team we, we, we quite weren't 
but then I think sometimes you've got to isolate and actually single that out. But that, that's a that can be a danger. I think that's got less and less and less as time's gone on. Yeah, I think I think managers are less aggressive now. With Definitely, the, with the certainly individually. Yeah, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. Did you operate well if a manager was aggressive directly to you? Uh, not particularly, no. Uh, uh, I don't know. I, I think. I wouldn't be one that would stand up to the manager and go, I disagree and, and this, this and this. Um, I might under my breath go, well, oh, fuck you. Yeah. Um, but other players would stand up and square up and... Um, but yeah, I mean, I, Fergie was aggressive to everyone, mm. apart from Cantona. He never said a word to Cantona, <laughs> but um, every, everybody else he would confront, he would, he would hammer, he would, he would slag off and... Um, he did tell him that you can't do that. Yeah, you can't go around in that. You can't go around behaving like that. That's as strict as he got. Kung Fu kick. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he rocked up in trainers and whatever. I mean, he was supposed to be wearing a suit. I can't remember what it was. Yeah, that was, a, <clears throat> that was a town hall thing with all the, all the, uh, the lo local mayors and the Lord Mayor. And he had to go at my suit because I had a funny coloured suit on. And he said, look at the lads, look, black suit, blue suit, grey suit. Look at you, fucking green suit. <laughs> oh, well, the ticket never said what colour suit I had to wear. It just said suit, shirt, tie. And then Cantona comes in the place, he's got a black suit with no tie on, a red Nike baseball cap and a pair of red Nike trainers. And I went, if you're going to have a go at me, you're going to have a go at him. And he just looked at him and just went, ah! <laughs> That's why he gave you the green mic. To yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> it was that sort of colour as well. Yeah. To be fair, green suit. It was that colour. Yeah. Like I looked like Don Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Not the Riddler. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's amazing to just think. If someone was aggressive to you as a manager, I, I can imagine you wouldn't care. You might find it motivating. I don't know. I, I, I could react, definitely. At, but in, at the that, age of 24, 25, I, I would react. But that's the thing, that's my point is, you, you're both two different players and different yeah. things work for both of you differently, you know? Yeah. Our lights are going on and off for some strange but, reason. But, okay. but, but that's the key, the management, as we said, it's about the manager. Yeah. That's the man management. That's yeah. management, that's, that's out of our remit at that time. I'm not thinking about who likes what at all. That's the, that's the gaffers. Uh, that's what that's his skill, and like what saying, he, he, Wayne Rooney's saying, won't directly uh, breach Nani in the dressing room and let him know. He'd say it to another player because he knows that you can absorb that. Um, yeah, because Rooney can probably take it. On he his take it. He, he, knows just, he knows that he's going to be playing every he's week. Got, exactly. So he's, Nani he's got can't broad say shoulders. that to Nani because Nani's already a little bit lacking in confidence because he's not played last week, but he needs him for this week and next week, so he doesn't want to attack Nanny in case he goes under and can't take it. Yeah, and, mm. and, you, that's, and I think you kind of accept that as a player. And it, it, it's a compliment. It's a compliment to, to Wayne Rooney. Mm. There's, there's, uh, he seemed to play better when he was angry, too, yeah. to be fair. Fear <laughs> um, and, and the manager. How fearful do you have to be of the manager? Um. Case in point, you're having a party. There's a famous story, you and Giggs, blah, 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 blah. He comes. That sounds like fear to me. Yeah, I think, but Fergie ruled by fear. He, everyone was sort of fearful to a degree. Even the senior players that could stand up and, and, and argue with him, they still had this fear factor about him. Whereas then I went to a totally different scale, obviously, but I went to Portsmouth on loan and had Graham Ricks as a manager who wasn't aggressive at all. Um, and we played Huddersfield, I think, away from home. And he, played me, he used to play me centre midfield, um, Graham. And, and I didn't have a particularly great game. Um, and he brought me off with about 20 minutes to go, which he was well within his rights to do. Uh, and that was on the Saturday afternoon. On the Sunday, I'm on the golf course and I get a phone call. He went, hi, oh, Sharp, it's, it's the gaffer. I went, all right, gaffer. He said, um, I've watched the highlights from you. I watched the rerun of the game yesterday. He said, and, uh, I know you didn't have your particularly best game in the world. He said, but um, you didn't hide. You kept trying to get on the ball. You were still trying to do your job. My, my job description to you is take the ball off the back four and carry it and get it to the front two and, and, and the wingers he said and you kept trying it he said I know it didn't work for you he said but I just want to apologise for bringing you off he said you'll be playing again next week and I put the phone down I went I can't believe I've just had that phone call <laughs> I, can't, I will now run through brick walls for this bloke he's not been aggressive Yeah. he's not said anything major but he's just said I've watched the game I apologise for bringing you off you'll be playing next week enjoy your Sunday see you tomorrow I was like Oh my God! Motivated you? <laughs> yeah. Oh God! Like you wouldn't believe. Because you also had did, you had George Graham, didn't you? Yeah, yeah George Graham, I can imagine him being more kin to the Sir Alex 
maybe it's a yeah, Scottish well, yeah, thing. Yeah, but George was a little bit stuck in the 80s. So, and and I'd, I'd sort of done a psychology course while I was at Leeds and I sort of, uh, I was into a bit of mind stuff and psychology and I'd sort of say things to players and put things on blackboards as we walked in and just subliminal messages I'd put around and, and you know, George would walk in and go, who's put that on there and wipe it off and, oh, who's saying that? And don't, don't say things like that. I'm like, but this is, how, this is how the mind works and this is how we yeah. get results and, and he was having none of it. He was still stuck in, man for, let's play man for man. Only man for man. Hmm. For yourself, I mean, I, I, I look at Wenger, I asked you off camera, did you ever see him shout? I think I had to ask you on TV, I can't remember, mm. or when we recorded yesterday, it's an occasion. But you got someone who seems a bit more, not to say docile is probably the wrong word, a bit more relaxed, but then you got someone like Tony Pulis, yeah. who you also played with. Yeah. And he, I've worked with Tony. Mm. I can imagine him being a, yeah. aggressive when he needs to be. Let's to put it politely, I guess. Very much so. And it comes down to that style. You know, you've just alluded to two very different styles of management from what well, Half Ergie would be and Graham Ricks. Well, Tony Pulis and Arsene Wenger are probably on a, on a sim, similar scale in terms of how different they were. Both had their own ways. Um, Tony Pulis would be very clear on his messages and you followed his framework. Mm. Whereas I look at Arsene Wenger and I think that he just put people together and then took a step back and we almost like wanted it to happen organically. And when that worked, I think that's the most powerful mm. thing you can have. But it's hard to get that. Mm. And a lot of the time things, and, and there are moments where it really does need a proper steer or a firm hand. Whereas I th his style was very much just to step back and see what happens. Yeah. What was Fabio like? Because obviously it, it, it's slightly different because all the, all the managers that we just spoke about are club managers where your interaction, the intensity of it um, works differently to, to a national team manager. Mm. So in this case, it's a national team manager and it's, it's an Italian as well. Um, how, how was that uh, like working under Fabio? What was his communication like to the players? How, what was the intensity levels mm. like between the players and him? At he was fear-driven. Fear, fear Mm. He was a, a manager with fear. If you were late to a meeting, if you got your phone out uh, at the meal table, he he threw a, a metal tray off the food, slammed it down. We in Ukraine, I think we were in Ukraine or somewhere, and the whole room just went like you know, like one of those where you sat there and the what? noise. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> and he just started blowing off on someone in his like the accent, like ah, back in, and. I think somebody had a phone just like under, and he clocked it in his eye and he went for him. And it was like, oh, <laughs> you know, you, you felt, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's how he, wow. he would do those things. Um, if you were, if you weren't five minutes early, you were late and mm. the door was shut and the meeting had started. So if you had a meeting at two o'clock, the door shut at five, two and he started. So if you walked in at two minutes to two, you had to do the walk of shame. And the meeting would stop, the room would go quiet, he'd look at you, you know, not say anything. Just look. <laughs> you know, and if you were sometimes that's worse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if you were really late, then he would Yeah, let you have it. And that that's how it was. And I really liked it. I've got to say, like I, I turned up, I really enjoyed it. His the two years in the build up to that World Cup. I thoroughly enjoyed going away with those squads and being in that in what that was because he kind of put he made it more of a level playing field I found um, and it was really competitive. Training was good. Training was you get your shin pads on. Mm. We're having an eleven v eleven, and it was proper. Um, I, I really liked it. Do you think it can work in the modern twenty twenty two game at the highest <sighs> level? I mean, when we're talking at Premier League level, yeah. we're talking at international level because. Uh, De Zerbe, who's just taken over at Brighton, he's a very progressive manager. And we're talking about Fabio. Mm. When Fabio was on TV in Italy, mm. he criticised De Zerbe. Mm. And it felt like you're talking about George Graham being stuck in the 80s. I'm not saying Capello stuck in the 80s, but maybe in the 90s. And his approach to management. He wasn't a fan of De Zerbe, but De Zerbe did pretty well when he was in Italy, mm. it has to be said. And now he's managing in the Premier League with Brighton. Credit to him. I'm just thinking whether a Capello style would work Again, at the, I'm just talking at the highest, highest mm. levels where players can earn 
£200,000 a week. Can it still work now? I, I personally don't think the values have changed. Uh, and and I, I like the values. It's, it's how you instill them. But that's what I mean, the fear factor. Because yeah. now player, player power is probably stronger now than it was even five years ago or ten years ago. Yeah. 15 years ago. Yeah, but bear, bearing in mind, he, he, he's still managing like this. And, and again, uh, at national level, you're not contracted. Mm. There's, there, there's no payment. Um, it's not like being at a club and somebody's on a three-year contract on £250,000 a week and then you're going to fall out with them. It's literally everyone wants to play for their country. Um, and I think, you know, there was massive names, you know, big, big players. Um, and he... That's how he ruled, and that's, that's how he was. And, and it got, you know, the qualifying campaign was really good. Good quality football, we were playing well, winning every, nearly every game. I think we only lost one game in two years um, in the build-up to, to that World Cup. And, and everyone kind of felt the same. Everyone knew what it was like. Not, not necessarily everyone liked it or even liked what it was, but I think people respected it. Would, let me spin the question another way. Would, do you think if Gareth Southgate was more akin to that, and his style, mm. that Gareth Southgate would have reached the semi-finals of a World Cup and, and be a penalty shootout away from being European champions? No, but I, I don't think you can compare the two because they're, they're two completely different people. And they have their own ways. Gareth's achieved other things that have actually been more, well, it has to say it's been more successful in terms of major tournaments than, than what Fabio Capello did. Capello had much more success at club level, though. A huge success at so, club level yeah. and massively revered. And, and some of his defensive work, the, the training, I, I, I learned a lot and I thought he was excellent. For a defender, it, it was you know, brilliant for me to go and work for a coach who had worked with the players that he'd worked with. And he had his backroom staff, uh, a guy called Italo Gambiati, who was, who'd worked with Baresi mm. and all these players. And for me, I, mean, I, was, just, I was just soaking it up. He was, it was amazing to speak to him and he's, he's, he was very Italian, his English wasn't great but I knew exactly what he meant and we'd you know, do certain drills and training and in terms of my development at the age of thir uh, nearly 30, 29, I was learning every time I turned up there. So for me it was always a positive experience. Um, what about for the attacking players? Yeah, no. I'm <laughs> talking but, so much about the defence, yeah, and all that. You know? Yeah, maybe slightly different, maybe slightly different. Um, but I think the values and the values that Sir Alex had, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think, I, think, I, think, I think there has to be a line of discipline, and I think timekeeping, uh, I think standard of training, uh, is all. I don't know whether you have to do that with fear or or how you do it, but I think also you have to keep moving with the times. Mm. I think now the mental approach to the game and and how your mind works and how you get the best out of people's minds, because at the end of the day, when you're at that level of, of playing. Ability is is there's a very small gap between mm. who's good and who's mm. not, so it all comes down to uh, the, the mental ability that you that you have and how you how you how you approach games, how you prepare for games, um, and, and I think you know one one thing with Alex Ferguson is he he kept updating himself and had people around him that could help update the team, update the facilities, update um, what, whatever he needed. You know, Brian Kidd would on international weekends would go away to Juventus. We'd go away to Ajax. We'd go away to Dortmund, and watch the watch them train, bring ideas back from training, from training camps, from from different things. So we were always given new things to work on and, and, and different different things in training. And the manager, like like we said, always bought two or three players every summer, just to mix things up and, and change things around, and challenge players. And, and I think there's there's a, there's a there, there is a discipline that needs to be had, and a level of Training and, and fitness and 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 timekeeping, but I also think there's the other side where you've got to have some sort of um, freedom of creativity and and and, a, and an awesome Wenger thing where your team's got to evolve itself and you've got to allow players responsibility to to do things themselves, because once you're on the pitch, you can't you know you can't hear the manager half the time, so you've got to be able to change and adapt on the pitch, and the best teams can do that, and the best captains can arrange a team and tuck this midfielder in there, push him up there, bring this full back in here because they're not got a wide man and we'll, you know, so they, they, they can adapt on the fly if you like.
would you like to have managed the young Lee shop? Uh, your age now, where you are now, when you look at yourself yeah. when you're young. Yeah, I, I, I think so. But I think, I think for me it was it was a harsh learning curve because I was in the team so young with so many experienced players with such an an aggressive, powerful manager. Uh, I, I I could take a bollocking, I could take a shouting. I don't mind that. Yeah, I've not performed. I've not played well. I know I've, you don't have to tell me when I've not played well. And I I put I put more pressure on myself than any manager, fan, newspaper. Whatever, no one can put any more pressure on me than me. Mm. And I know when I've played well. I, I sort of know when I've played all right, I know when I've played well, and I certainly know when I've played shit. So the manager coming off and bollocking me, I can take that, that's not a problem. I can take that. But what I then want is the manager come to me on a Monday and go, right, this is what you did wrong, or this is why you played bad, this is what we're going to work on this week, this is how we're going to put it right, here's a couple of drills for you. After training, just do this, this, and this, just do this, this, and this. And I'll go, yeah, fantastic, thank you very much. And then you know you've put the hours in, in the week in training, that that becomes a habit come match day. So you don't have to think, oh, I need to be there, or oh, I need to do this. It just becomes a habit that you're just working on and working on. It becomes natural. Repetition. To go, to go into the game, yeah. So, but, we, but we never got that, that Monday chat to say, let's just do a bit of this, let's just do a bit of this, let's just do a bit of that. It was always like, bollocks, sort yourself out. And as an 18, 19-year-old kid, if you don't know what you're doing wrong, how do you put it right? So that was my only my only gripe, if you like, that we didn't get told how to put things right that we were doing wrong. It's funny you should say that because I've read this theory about Deli Ali, and along those lines, in that he became a first teamer so young, so he's still very young. He's only in his mid twenties now, but he got brought in as MK Dons. He arrived at Tottenham, Pochettino. And he had his greatest success under Pochettino. I mean, he was playing the semi-finals of a World Cup in 2018, let's not forget. But the moment things start to change, he's never been through that youth coaching setup of understanding different parts of the game, different aspects of the game, different systems. It in Pochettino, 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 Pochettino. And when things didn't go well, he didn't know how to adapt. And then he found himself at Everton and various managers at Spurs before that. And now he's playing in Turkey. And it's along those lines of what you're saying. Yeah, well, I, I missed out on the coaching, the youth setup at Manchester United. So I did Torquay for a year, played first team football as a 16 year old kid at Torquay in the fourth division. Not Megan Gary Stevens. Not Megan Gary <laughs> Stevens. But, but playing with men. So, so, so sort of get brought up on, on the physicality of it and, and the pressure of having to play a first team game and having to get results. But then when things, you know, I was a 16 year old kid, so sent out there with an experienced team going, give the ball to Sharpie and get in the box. He'll take people on. You'll get crosses in, you just get in the box. So then you come into the United team at 17, 18, and you're just told, just go and do what you want to do. If you have a bad game, you're 17, 18, it doesn't matter. But then when you've been in the team for two or three years and you get to 19, 20, and you're still having a bad game, and you don't know how to put it right. You, we've also talked yesterday about, you go through this period of, just go and enjoy yourself, because you're young enough and you're, you're not expected to play well. You're expected to have the odd bad game. So just go and do it. To then get to... You've been in the team a couple of years now, so you shouldn't be having a bad game. And how to deal with the mentality of, how do I keep myself when I'm not playing well? How do I still come off the pitch playing seven or eight out of ten mm. when I don't really know what I'm doing wrong and how to put it right? And you've got this extra pressure on yourself. The fans have got extra pressure. The manager's got extra responsibility on you. That's why for me to go and play for England at 19 was like me playing for Man United at 17. So I could go out with the freedom that it doesn't really matter. I can go and express myself. If it comes off, it comes off. If it doesn't, I'll have another go, and then I'll have another go, and then I'll have another go, because I've got time to learn. Mm. Whereas at United at 19, it was like, right, you've got to do it today. You've got to do it this week, next week, the week after, the week after. Each result matters. Every game matters. Mm. You're playing with some big what, players. What enabled you to do that then? Because if we're going to liken that to Deli Ali, that's almost identical in the sense that he used to play in a carefree fashion, and he would pick up positions and he might give the ball away three times in a row, but then one thing would happen. That's how I remember him. Yeah. The time. He, was, he was cheeky, um, he was creative. But he lacked that developmental phase of being a younger player. But what, but what is that? Where the I results mean, don't matter as much. Yeah, yeah, but I think that you learn more by doing what you did than yeah, what you, what you, you would in development. You have played it in, yeah, in, in men's football yeah, you, yeah, and, yeah. and all that. There, there's no better learning. You, you learn four or five times as fast doing that than what you would going through 
and development systems. System, yeah. mm. 100%. Yeah. 100%. So that well, doesn't quite add up. Yeah, I probably learned, I probably learned a lot from one angle, but not a lot from another angle. So they're just different angles, aren't they? Yeah. I suppose. I mean, Delhi, Delhi I don't know. It was just, you just knuckle down. I don't know. At United, there was, always, there was always someone that was ready to have Ryan Giggs coming through. I had Andre Kinchaskis on the mm. other side. So it's like you either knuckle down and play well and keep yourself fit and work hard in training, don't give the ball away, do the basics right, help you fall back out, get up and down the pitch. So that, that's, that's what you learn. It's, it's relentless though, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's relentless. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you don't realise what, you don't realise how relentless yeah. until you step away from mm. the big clubs and realise that actually there's only four or five people in the squad that can come into the first team now. So a few first teams are quite safe. Whereas at a place like United, there's pretty much two players in every position. So if you're not doing it, apart from your captain, your goalkeeper, and probably your centre-forward and your centre-halves, everybody else is interchangeable. And they could be sold, as Alex quite famously uh, would do. If, don't uh, mess about, yeah. No, he's not afraid yeah. to freshen yeah. things up. I, I want to go back to something that you mentioned just, just uh, slightly earlier, which is the concept of how at, at the top level, at the elite level, um, there isn't much that separates each player from the other. Um, it's tiny bits of differences. It's the mental side of the game. It's marginal gains or marginal differences that separate players and separate teams from victories and defeats. Um, what were some of the unorthodox ways that you have given yourself a bit of an edge in a game or in a season or heading into a, a battle with a particular player um, just to get the mental side of the game right up there? Well, I think it comes down to decision-making. Decision-making in, in tight situations, in pressure situations. Um, some of it would come from the manager's input. So the manager would have, I'm, I'm sure they do it all, all the time now, where the manager will have, if you're playing Aston Villa on Saturday, Aston Villa will be, will be watched by the scouts for the last six games. They'll know whoever's playing right back, whether he's a centre-half playing right back, whether he's a right winger playing right back whether there's a left-footed right-back, whether he switches off like Alexander-Trent Arnold, does he switch off when the ball's on the other side so you can dip in front of him when the ball's coming in? Does he like, would he rather take you down the line and race you or would he rather show you inside? Will he overlap you? So you have all this information that you know going into the game of strengths and weaknesses of that player and then it's about you keeping calm and keeping an eye on him and being aware throughout the game of where you are, where he is, where he's looking. I'm going to, I'm going to go on the outside of him, so when he's watching the ball over the other side, he looks over his left shoulder at me, he sees me there, and then once he's seen me there, I'm coming in here, because he still thinks I'm there. Mm. So it's about these little, like, I can see he's, he's just saw me, he's just seen me there, so I'll go over there. He thinks I'm going to go in there, so I'm going to go down there. It's, it's all, it's really tiny. But how important is that first reaction to a challenge from you, or the first challenge you put in on somebody for yourself, Matt? in the course of a game, particularly in a derby game, that you're there and you mean business, the psychological advantage that that can yeah, bring. Yeah, I think, you know, the phrase would be like, you, you put a marker down, don't you? You would put a marker down by the first time you get the ball, you might go at someone. For, first you might time, knock it beyond yeah, them and run. Yeah, first time I get go, it, let's I'm see just what knock got. it to the corner. Let's see what they've got. Let's see what you've got. Yeah, let's yeah. see what you've if, got. If, if, we, if we win a throw in, fair yeah. bit, if it takes it off me, fair but I know now. Yeah. yeah. He can race me. Yeah. So now I've got to change my tactics a little bit. Yeah. For you, what about your reaction if someone tries to leave a marker on you? Will you, will you would you just get up, smile, and yeah, just... oh god, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that was yeah, important yeah. for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I didn't care about being kicked. I was, I was quite happy if someone wants to. Rough but you let them know that. You let them know that. Uh, I don't care what you're going to do. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't react. I just get up, smile, and go. Yeah, yeah. It's a good one. It's a good one. You caught me. Well done. And then you celebrate in the corner flag. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, as yeah. an Elvis. Yeah. Yeah. I would. I would never. That was part of the job for us as as a winger. That's that's part of your job. You get kicked, you get up. Mm. You got people like him wanting to smash you. Well, yeah, because <laughs> the marker on you. And it's the, the flip side. I mean, did you consciously think about I have to lay a marker on this individual? Yeah, I, I would. A lot of them would be like for me. Would be a lot of the time would be first goal kick. First mm. goal kick. Your uh, the opposition goal, opposition kick, goal kick. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If that goes long. That first ball, especially if you're playing against a player that's airily good in the air, I, I was, I, I just wanted to eat that up. You <laughs> relished just, it. Just go and head that, yeah. Who, win who, that one. Who was the most you're not going to win difficult? Today. 
Who's the most difficult player you've ever had to play uh, in, right in, up in the air? In the air, Duncan Ferguson, I think. Oof. Oh, he was aggressive. He was horrible. <laughs> he was horrible. And he'd start at the fullback and run towards. And I used to shout at the fullback, <laughs> make sure you block him. Poor <laughs> <laughs> fullback. You block yeah, one yeah. of them. Fullback's <laughs> like, hey, hey, all right. <laughs> you yeah, deal with it, Matt. And it would be across the face of you, which is the worst type because he's challenging really fairly, but you know that you're going to, it's a glancing blow, isn't it? As opposed to anything and you, you know, your arms would have to be up. He, he was, and he could, he could leap. His timing was impeccable. Oh, he was a good player. Wasn't he? Timing was impeccable. Uh, he actually had good feet as well. Yeah, good, good play coming to his feet. Quick, I mean, yeah. I played, he was more towards the end of his career. Mm, he was a good so player. he probably wasn't as mobile. Um, as when he was a, a bit leaner and more wiry, he was yeah, a yeah. real handful, wasn't he? I used to smash Pally all the time. He was a real handful. He come off with scars and cuts and... Yeah. Yeah. He, um, he, he's legitimately beaten up robbers in his house and been to prison. So, I mean, he <laughs> takes it into the real world as well as being a hard man. Yeah. You talk about a hard man. He, yeah. He was, he was a he, good player. He was a good player yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. good player. He's, yeah. not, he's not the man whose house you want to rob. Them. No, <laughs> no. Well, he's sitting with you in his boxer shorts <laughs> and beating you up and called the police. Yeah. So they, they couldn't have known, surely. They didn't do their homework. <laughs> no, Duncan Ferguson. Uh, what about, and I know he's not physically nearly as tough, but he is a big unit. In training, at least, you had Peter Crouch. Yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you challenge a man who's six foot seven? But, but again, he actually, uh, at times, better with his feet. Oh, he, we Crouchy. all know that he was, yeah. I think that was the, then in the air. Almost like he wasn't the type of like the Duncan Ferguson who could run and leap and attack it. Um, who else would be like that? Someone like Kenwin Jones. Mm. He was a good, he could leap. Mm. Kenwin, he was hard. If he got across the face of you, his jump was unbelievable. Um, and he could hang. Whereas Croucher was more of a, I'm just tall and I can judge the flight and I can just hold someone off and win headers. Um, but I remember playing with. Uh, Kenny Cunningham at Birmingham and Crouch was at Portsmouth with Jermaine Defoe as a part, which was quite a good partnership at the time and uh, Kenny Cunningham played him unbelievably well just by moving his feet he, he would drop the line and then he would raise the line step in front of him get, gain the ground and then he'd, he'd win the header a lot of the time because his footwork was good in and around him um, but yeah it, it was a different challenge mm. and it, because of his height there were certain balls you just couldn't win if he was in the right position and he held his ground. He was just he wasn't jumping. Yeah. Just like literally just glancing balls on. But he, for me, his touch and how soft he was with his yeah. with the ball was his real team. He was brilliant. And he scored some cracking goals. Brilliant that goals. Against Man City. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. With just his feet, he was yeah. so good. Um, funny guy too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever tell him to shut up though? I mean, you must have. Yeah, he was pretty. Uh, he, Brilliant company, okay. and, and like I say, really funny. Yeah, laid back, humble, um, good good player to have in your dressing room. And the robot. Yeah. Was <laughs> this uh, watching the video of him popping up on stage at a Kasabian concert recently? I think it was, and it was just he looked like the happiest guy on yeah. the planet. It was just a ridiculous video. When you video. see who he's married to, then you understand why he's <laughs> the happiest guy on the planet. Um, didn't he say then he wasn't a footballer, he'd be a virgin? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. There's your, that thing that, that says a lot, right? Um, okay. I think we're at the hour mark now. So I'm going to ask, what is your favourite Derby memory? Mm. Uh, I think, that, well, uh, there's a couple. We, 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 were, we were two down and one three two at Main Road. But I think, I think that was when Keeney scored the winner. Um, but I'd have to go, we were 2-1 down. And came back to draw 2-2 and the pitch was like a farmer's field. It was bounced all over the place and I got put down the left and the ball's bobbling. And I sort of, on full tilt, I put this crossing on the off. It sort of bobbles and hits it on the off volley right onto Cantona's head. And he sort of smashes the header in and then we both grab each other by the side of the head and we're like, yeah! <laughs> in front of a <laughs> yeah. packed main road house. I think that's probably my best memory of a derby. It's great that you're talking about being away from home because I guess that's... That I know it's nice to be in front of your own fans, but to do something like that away from yeah. home, in front of their fans, makes yeah. it a, a little bit more special. I mean, I've, I've, scored a, I've scored a couple at Old Trafford against City, but the comebacks at Main Road make it even more special. Yeah. Matt, what's your favourite derby memory? Mine's away from home again at Villa Park. Away mm. from home. That first, okay. that first derby game, Birmingham Villa in the Premier League. That was just a phenomenal game. Who was up front for Villa that day? Dion Dublin. 
Did you leave a mark on him? Because he's a... Uh, oh, he left a mark on me, I think. <laughs> I was about to yeah, say. He was pretty good at that. Right, right under my chin. I think I chipped my tooth as well. <laughs> <Did> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was pretty good at that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he could he could bash an elbow yeah. in. Uh, he was one of them like... And subtle as well. It yeah. wasn't like obvious. Didn't get pulled up for it. No. He was a nice guy. Oh, he's a lovely guy. He was my roommate a little bit. Yeah. But but could be... Yeah, a bit tasty. Very subtle with how he would do it. Yeah, but he ended up getting sent off. Mm. Robbie Savage did his thing, um, and it's just a, again away from home, which is mm. weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like I say, sometimes it Makes brings it that, sweet, to, that, that to or, or like that you've got to really hunker in. Yeah, like as a yeah. team, and you're up against it. I'm convinced. I'm convinced it's because lines. it's away yeah. from home. Like, why do we remember Ashavin scoring four against Liverpool? Because it was at Anfield. Why are yeah. we going to remember Trossard? Because he scored the hat trick at Anfield yeah. away from home, which. Just adds a little spiciness. Definitely. Um, to celebrate, we'll get Dion Dublin's dube, that instrument he's made, I think. Do. And we'll sit down and play the dube. You know about this? No. He's invented like, a drum. It's a Is drum, he? which people... He's a, big, he's a massive, he's a massive yeah. musician. It's all, all his family's brothers. One brother's a drum, drummer. Okay. Dion learnt the saxophone while he was at United. I think he's, oh, he wow. still plays the sax. Another, another brother plays something else. The sit-down box where you play a dube. It's got like Professionals a bass, use it, like snare. acoustics. It's a puppet. Okay. It's really so cool. And he's invented it. Yeah. Wow. wow. It's, uh, for some professionals use it as well because okay. it's great for acoustic settings. And you can literally, it's, it's, just, it's your chair, but it's also your instrument. And it's the dube, I believe wow. it's called. So like he's uh, got copyright. I know. I mean, he probably does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does now, yeah. the pressure's on you to invent something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's invented a bar in Spain or Sharpies. We're waiting for <laughs> no, that. That might be ideal. Yeah. inventing that. Is. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you very much, guys. Very thank enjoyable you. chat. And Lovely. of course, Great to have you back, my man Keish. Yeah, good to be back. Completely enjoyed it. Cheers, Keish. More in the future on Squeaky Boom Time.